and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we will be talking with your favorite LGBTQ authors. This is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is the award-winning and infamous novelist Karen Callmaker. <laughs> Hi, Karen. Hi, Anita. <laughs> How'd you like that introduction? Yeah, I'm not sure what makes me infamous, but I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're very well known in the lesbic world. Uh, I think that comes with just uh, being older. <laughs> nah, that comes with good writing. Uh, well, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> so, um, so when did you start writing? Um, I think I started writing the moment a teacher put a pencil in my hand and gave me some lined paper. Wow. That, you know, other kids in class would always go, oh, I don't want to write a story, even if, you know, it was just a couple of paragraphs or whatever. I loved creative writing from, from the very beginning. Just, I could not wait. That was my favorite thing. Oh, that's awesome. And um, so in school, did you write a novel or was that something that um, you dabbled in after school or in college or how did that all come about? Well, I remember, you know, being fairly young and writing a short story about a handmaiden who helps the queen escape from a loveless marriage and they become best friends. Aww. And I'm thinking that was fairly diagnostic. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder what my teachers might, you know, <laughs> how high their eyebrows went. Um, and then I, another time I wrote a really, really long and very derivative. It was extremely derivative in that we had just read a diary that was actually written by uh, a young girl who had um, crossed the American plains, you know, that whole mythos. And so this was the diary. We just read it. So I wrote my own as if I were her. It was, I'm sure, incredibly awful. But, uh -huh. um, but, I, but I, it was, you know, like 35, 36 pages and other people were struggling <laughs> to get out. It was just, you know. I, I became this young girl in this story, and I wrote my own version, and incredibly inaccurate, I'm sure, all of it. How old were you? Um, that, that I remember. That was the sixth grade. So in the U.S., that means I was 10, 11, yeah, wow. something like that. That's awesome. That really is. And oh. did you, do you remember any feedback you received from your teacher? They always gave me, you know, high marks because I think I did I did the work. <laughs> yeah, they like they're not going to discourage someone who's just doing the work. You so. were easy, right? I was the easy one, and um, they did not mark me down for commas, which is really probably very good because I still don't know where they go. Uh. I just I just let the editor do that. The proofreaders, yeah. you say it goes there, fine. Yep, yep. That's what they're there for, right? <laughs> yeah, because I cannot keep it straight in my head. And they change the rules and I can't keep up. I know. I know. Um, I've noticed that no one really uses the Oxford comma anymore. Um, and and yeah. I, I have a problem with that, really. <laughs> I, yeah, that's sort of an endless debate. I I originally published with NIAD and they did not use the Oxford, Oxford comma way back when. Wow. So my entire writing career I haven't used it and my publisher just reinstituted it oh so that's a big I'm change. getting back and back in the habit man it's hard yeah yeah that is that's a big change really really so yeah I and and I and be, just because of 
yeah, we all fall into habits and certain things still look wrong to me. They took the hyphen out of time. I don't, I still don't get that. It's not 2 hyphen 30 anymore. It's just 2.30. And it looks wrong to me everywhere I see it, even uh, in newspapers. Yes. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll get by, you know, first world writer problems. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> That's great. I, I had noticed the time uh, hyphen removal, but I, I will now for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I've now visited that <laughs> upon you. <laughs> so, so you used to publish with Nyad Press. That was like one of the first um, LGBT uh you know, publishing companies that, that I remember. Um, yeah, it, they were among the very first and they were almost one of the last. <laughs> I mean, they were around for, for a couple of decades yeah. and it was just an outgrowth. There was this marvelous explosion in the very early 70s where a lot of women and lesbians basically said, well, we can't get published in the mainstream because all those contracts are going to men. And when they decide to publish anything queer, it's usually men who get those contracts. So we'll just build our own. And they created their own companies. They created their own bookstores. It was just absolutely amazing to see. And I, every time a challenge comes around, I, I look around and I can see that energy in different communities where they say, okay, we'll just do it ourselves. Yeah. And you end up with this amazing um, opportunities for, for writers, opportunities um, for women, unlike any they'd ever had before to, to decide um, and about what kind of books could be published and to open those doors. It was just an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, really, really was. Um, and mm -hmm. it still is. So who it do still you, is. Who do you publish with today? Um, I publish with Bella Books. Okay. Uh, which they um, they're not Nyad under new ownership. They Nyad closed officially, but Bella, um, a lot of authors from Nyad went to Bella for publishing, and then um, Bella also has a distribution arm, which uh, most people know, and they bought a lot of Nyad's backstop, and and they also um, distribute all sorts of publishers. Right. Yeah. So um, I got to ask you: Do you did you know Barbara Wilson? I've never met her. Okay. Um, she's an amazing, amazing writer. She she was a, a writer and publisher of Seal Press. Really? Back in the, back in the, back in the. <laughs> yeah. um, and her, I loved her Cassandra Riley Mysteries and um, yeah. a couple of which got made into movies for PBS. So, oh, really? Uh, I'm a longtime admirer of her work. Look for, it's. I'm sure that the Cassandra Riley mysteries oh and of course a name won't come to me trouble in transylvania may have been the first her okay. cassandra riley's a, a an an interpreter uh who traveled and did jobs you know interpreting things for people uh works and and she fell into situations when she traveled yeah. Um, i um, yeah the, she was one of my favorite when i was like kind of i guess coming out she was one of my favorite authors mm -hmm. yeah is she is yeah. she still alive I believe so. Oh my goodness! And she finally sold Peel Pre Seal Press, which is now, uh, I think, an imprint of Penguin Books. Um, but she's still, she's still alive and producing work and and uh, doing her thing. I think she lives, um, off the coast of Washington State, maybe. Wow, I'm gonna have to look her up. That's great. Yeah, That's yeah. Great. yeah. There were a, a lot of great uh, works produced from Nyad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah. what was, Karen, what was your first published novel? It was with Nyad. Um, it's called In Every Port. And uh, I had originally read so many Harlequin romances when I was a teenager. I could just, you know, tear through a couple in an afternoon. Oh, yeah. I, it was, I just, they, they were so perfectly paced and, and they were small, you know, single bite stories kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, um, and I thought I could probably write one of these. So I, I tried a couple, but then I read Curious Wine, which was from Nyad. Oh, yeah. And uh, cha- I went, oh, well, <laughs> never looking back there. Um, uh-huh. I'll just write, you know, the kind of stories I really want to write. And so my first one was called In Every Port, and it was published in 1989. It was the first Les Fick I wrote. I sent it off to Nyad with all my youthful hubris. And then they actually published it, which was lucky, incredibly lucky. Wow, that is that's great. That's your so your very first novel was published. Um, well, the, I did try a Harlequin esque one, okay. which was, has never been published. It's still sitting in a drawer. I think I may have actually disposed of it. It needed to be disposed of. Let's just put it that way. Um, and and then you know I read a lot of lesbian fiction after I Curious Wine. Just immersed myself, and I thought. Okay, I have an idea of now what this publisher's looking for, and I wrote my story, and off it went. So, it was you know almost fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. So, curious wine. That was Catherine Forrest, right? Indeed. Okay. Um, is she still around? Oh, absolutely. Okay. She's she's still editing. She is you know not only Catherine Forrest the novelist, but one of the best editors. Wow. In the business. Yeah. That's great. I just totally remember reading all of her stuff like anything I could get my hands on um yeah yeah that was great so um how was in every port received like uh did you get you know good reviews um did you know readers write to you and and did they enjoy it uh I want to say yes um because I was a brand new writer, uh, and, and I don't know what Naya generally accepted, but they were very pleased with how well it sold. And there were, at the time, the really magical thing was that there were all these women's bookstores. And what you had was women in the bookstores, they had staff favorites, yeah. or they would have their little newsletter that they sent out to their customers or posted up on a bulletin board that it, that had staff write-ups of new books. Mm-hmm. And so my first book got mentioned as, you know, that it was selling or that it had arrived. And what Nyad would do is they'd get copies of all of those. And if your name was in it, they would just make a copy and stick it in your box. And every month or so, you'd get this envelope of stuff that was things that had your name in it. Oh, that's <laughs> From- so cool. It's very cool, and it was from all over the country, all sorts of different places. So my first book, I got a little of that, but it wasn't until my fifth or sixth book till I saw a lot of that. It takes time, and I think that's still true, even in our compressed publishing cycle world we live in now, that it still takes a, a certain body of work before before sort of it, those established review sources and as well as readers start reaching out so that's you know one advice to the new writer just keep at it keep at it keep at it good good advice yeah so how many books do you have published to date um it's i think 30 wow uh, 30. I'm not nearly so prolific as someone like, you know, Radcliffe um, and KJ McGregor, who started 15 years after I did, has 30 books, you know, so wow. she's, they're much faster writers than I am. But Radcliffe yeah, is think, a machine. 
it's amazing. Her output is is simply astonishing. Yeah. You know, and and to do that without a drop in quality, she just produces work. It's amazing. I I'm in awe. She's so disciplined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly disciplined. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm, I've never been the you know sit down at your desk at nine o'clock and produce X amount of words and finish kind of writer. I I did all my writing at night. You know, in I had a day job, and oh, okay. and so I'm still in that habit mentally that I do my best work after everyone else has gone to sleep and the house is quiet. That's that's kind of my sweet spot. Okay. So, do you write full time now, um, or do you still it, have a day job and write at night? I don't have a day job anymore. I I was originally I did a lot of nonprofit accounting, which is really cool, and I enjoyed that. Um, but we decided to have kids, and so. I stopped working and continued the writing thing and raised our kids. And um, and so now that they are, we're in the empty nest, which ah. is kind of kind of great. Um, <laughs> You're not complaining. I, I, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. They're happy. They're healthy. They're doing what they want with their life. And I am super pleased. Um, and I really like the quiet house. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Um, so, you know, I'm still writing, but I'm also taking the time to do other things like read. We're traveling and getting to see the world the way we wanted. So um, nice. it's hard to, to call it full-time. It's never been full-time, but I don't have a day job. Okay. All right. So um, you're reading. Um, huh? who, are your, who are some of your favorite authors? Oh, it's such a long list. And, you know, you hate to start listing names because you'll forget people. Yeah. And then everybody's like, well. I know. You know, she didn't mention my favorite it's person. Kind of a it? loaded question. Sorry about it, that. It's, it, it, it is hard, but you know, I for one thing, I love mysteries. They're my favorite genre to read. And I tried to write one once and I couldn't do it. So I can read mysteries without red penciling on my way through them. Nice. And I when I read um, anybody's romance, it doesn't matter where it comes from, uh, that red pencil won't stay out of my hand it's oh. really hard not to be thinking oh this should have been done in this order oh that scene should have been at a different point of view and you're just constantly critiquing things that don't need to be critiqued so it's it's hard um in in mysteries though i really i love laurie r king and cheryl head and gene redmond um sandra scopatone and uh oh golly there are some men that i read oh <laughs> 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 All them. To, oh, them. I tend to go toward, um, you know, women writers because they often do their female characters well. Yeah. Um, but I, I just read through the entire um, Donna, um, I think it's Donna Leone, uh, an entire set of mysteries set in Venice okay. with Commissario Brunetti solving v- mysteries in Venice. And okay. um, Anne Hillerman's um, Jim Chi and... Uh, Bernadette Manuelito Mysteries set in New Mexico. Love those. So, and I think I like mysteries because at the end of them, you get justice. At the, you know, you, you, you read the story and no matter what happens at the end, the world is fair again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't always get that from a thriller, but you do always get it from romance at least. Yes, you the do. World, the world is fair again at the end of a romance. And I think that's why I love writing them yeah. so much. Okay. So would you say then that's your favorite genre to work with? Romance? Uh, to write romance? Yeah. 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 And because of that red pencil thing, I am so grateful for the the writers out there who are, you know, either they're simp- simpatico with how I 
I like to read or they're just flawless themselves. And, you know, and that includes people like, you know, Jay and Melissa Braden and Jamie Clevenger and Tegan Shepard, um, KJ McGregor, I already mentioned, mm-hmm. Rebecca Witherspoon, another, she's, you know, they're all just flawless writers. And so I, that red pencil is less likely to hop into my hand. <laughs> oh. So what, um, you have over 30 books published. What What is your favorite work of your own? Wow. Um, oh, golly. That's really hard. Like asking me which of my children. Yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of authors uh, come back with that, that same statement, I, it, you know, and it's, it's like, I, they're your, they're your kids. And it's like, you know, how do you choose? And, and one author said it's, the one I'm working on presently, you know. Uh, oh, usually the one I'm working on is the one I'm a, I, I like the least. Ah, okay. Uh, I go through stages of actually, you know, just hating the book I'm writing. Really? For for whatever reason. Are um, you your own worst critic? Oh, I am. Yeah. I suffer from from massive self doubt constantly. I, I question every choice I make all the way through, and that's that makes it sometimes really hard to produce fresh work. Yeah. Um. And because there's such, there is just a huge gap between, between being a writer and what you appreciate about a book and what a reader might appreciate it. That's so true. And sometimes it's totally surprising. A reader will, will say, oh, I really appreciated this in your book. And you're thinking, I wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> well, golly. That's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, so some of my books have, as a writer stand out for me mm-hmm. is that I think those are the where I did just some of my either my most clever or most memorable or deepest searching um, books and so one of those would be like the kiss that counted or maybe next time um, and probably warming trend I, I loved everything about what I did in all of those books so tell us about warming trend um, Warming Trend is a story where there's actually an, a search for justice and the literal one. It's the closest I've come to writing a mystery in that we've got, you know, two women who broke up because this bad thing happened and one woman blames herself and the other woman is the one who lost a, lost her girlfriend over it. Um, and so we flash forward a couple of years and the woman who's been blaming herself all this time realizes she has to go back and and at least get closure on things. She left belongings behind, and so she just, she and her her BFF, who's constantly prodding her, um, the BFF that she hates and can't live without, um, forces her to go back. They get furloughed from work, and off they go back to Alaska. She's been living in Key West, which was as far away as she could get without leaving the United States. Um, so she goes back to Alaska, and they start to look at, the bad thing that happened and whose fault it actually was. And, and the BFF is the one who cracks the, the mystery at the core of that. But the, the, the lovers who got separated because of it, they end up having to kind of work together and that allows them to reestablish some trust and to look at what they each did wrong, the first chance. And, and so, so it's a second chance romance and there's a little mystery going on and a lot of, um, I think humor and I think I did justice to the scenery of Alaska in it. So awesome. That's that's great. That's, um, you know, do you, do you find that you 
create this world for your characters? Like, um, do you build that world first in your mind and, and put them in it? Or do the characters come first and then you create a world for them? Um, it's kind of an all at once. Some books, okay. it's the char- the characters come first. I think of a dilemma a character faces, and then I say, where can I put that dilemma where it makes sense, um, where a reader will accept that this dilemma is real. Um, uh, like a, a, a character who, based of all people on Mary Cheney, <laughs> Dick Cheney's daughter, when Dick Cheney was espousing that somehow he was pro-gay, what would it feel like to be the daughter of someone, of a politician who's saying he's pro-gay but has never voted pro-gay and holds your civil rights in his hands? And I looked at that and I thought, okay, so where can I pick that up and place it in in a more approachable setting mm-hmm. um, where I can also evade some of the strict adherence to um, the truthful world mm-hmm. versus the fictional world? Because you can't always just... Um, Otherwise, you spend all your time researching and saying, oh, could a, a person really do that at that time? It, I want to make those things not matter. I think I want the reader to just believe that mm-hmm. the situation could be. So sometimes the, the situation and the character comes first. And other times, I, it's the setting. I, I think of, you know, what would it, a, that setting would, would be just a great place for two people to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I have to ask, are you an outliner or are you more of what's called a pantser when you write? Um, I, I used to be a pantser, um, when, especially when I was writing Nyad. And the thing about Nyad was that they really wanted stories between about 50,000 words and 60,000 words. And, and most of that was because of the print limitations. Uh, because the longer the book got, the more it cost to print, and yet their price, they tried to keep the pl- price flat. So they had a, a target of word count. And I could hold a 50,000 word story in my head. No problems. I never wrote anything down. Wow. Just, you know, it was, it was awesome. So we, now we go forward a bunch of years where the length of a book doesn't matter nearly so much. And so we don't have to be quite so special bare and sparse we can do little side stories inside the novels and um the rules of what is good fiction have relaxed a lot because the word count's not so strict anymore mm-hmm. so now we're talking 70 and 80 thousand word stories mm-hmm. which which is you know a third to half again as long and then we talk about compare that to word counts going up and my estrogen level going down <laughs> and so now i'm kind of an outliner. I, I keep track. I use Scrivener to keep track of the order of events um, to dash off notes to myself about this scene does this, that scene does do that. Don't forget that this was supposed to happen earlier in the book. And so I leave myself notes and guide points so that when I start doing fresh writing, I have a, a touchstone, a way to look up and say, what am I doing now? And I look at that. So it's not a strict outline, but I'm not free forming it anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes sense though. That that really does. That's pretty amazing that you could hold like fifty thousand words in your head. You know, you, you had it going on. Yeah. Uh, well, I miss those days. 
<laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I I walk into a room and I'm like, mm, what did I want? Uh, you know, <laughs> like it's gone. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, where did I park the car? Thank goodness for car fobs where you can, you know, make the lights flash. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I keep the the beep on it, you know, <laughs> so that I can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, aging is not fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but as Betty Davis said, it's not for sissies. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> she she knew what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, who is Laura Adams? She's um, an alter ego of sorts. Uh, I mean, the actual story is that Barbara Greer wanted me to publish twice a year, but not compete with myself. So she suggested I come up with a pen name. So I did. Now, I know she was thinking I would just write. Thinking a different pen name. Now I can write all the other stories that have stacked up that I want that are still romance, but are certainly out of my usual box. Um, So I wrote two sci-fi romances. I have a series that I haven't finished because... That's me. And, um, <laughs> well, Katrina happened and just knocked a big chunk out of the story. So I set it aside to make the next deadline. And I've never, just never gone back to it. So, um, and then I also wrote a gothic romance, which was really fun. And so I still want to do those sorts of stories. They're starting to stack up again. But I don't know if I'll, if I'll use a separate pen name or if readers today, they just kind of get it that one writer writes in more than one genre. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, I don't know. But, Branding is so important, I think, in reaching readers. They, they, you know, they want to buy something and feel that they're sure what they're getting. Yeah, um, exactly. And if they associate a name with a brand, then they're more likely to pick it up. So, right. yeah. So. Yeah, so. Oh, okay, well, that's awesome. I'm going to have to check out um, some of Laura Adams' work. Yeah, my favorite is the gothic romance. I think it's it's just, it's got all those good things going on. It's called Christabel. It's based on an epic poem even, so. Ah, okay. Cool. I will check that out. Um, so, you and your wife, right, have been married <laughs> for, this is a personal question. Uh, <laughs> you've been together for over 30 years, right? Um, it's 43 years. Whoa, really? Oh, yeah, awesome. I know that. It seems like, you know, I must be really ancient, but I just turned 60. So um, we met in Mrs. Silva, Mrs. Silva's health education class. Get out of town. In fourth period in our sophomore year of high school. No way. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I'm thinking it's going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is great. We've been cooped up in the house together for you know nine days with very very little opportunities to get out separately and uh we haven't killed each other so you know it's awesome i know you know (laughs) we were just saying my wife and i uh, were just saying how we feel so lucky because we love each other and enjoy each other's company and imagine what it would be like to be cooped up with someone you know um we're, we're referring to the, the pandemic that's going on and mm-hmm. the, the self-quarantine and um, uh, imagine what it would be like to, to be cooped up with someone who you really don't get along with or you just don't like anymore. Like that would be or, or awful. Or you're 
you know, like your roommates and you're fine going about your separate lives and sharing, you know, the roof. And now you're sharing the dining room table every day. You're sharing this, this small space. That yeah. would be really tough. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I feel I feel very privileged to be able to not have to do that. Uh, that's awesome. So, so did you guys know when you met as sophomores in high school that you like liked each other? I guess that's what what fifteen year olds do. I don't know. Uh, not at first. I mean, we we were both, you know, to say without bragging, we were both smart girls, and smart girls kind of hung out together because we were not. It, we, we weren't pretty girls and we weren't sporty girls. And so we just sort of naturally gravitated toward each other. So, you know, whenever there was a group project, we made sure we were on the same group because we knew that work was going to get done. And we, we liked our we liked our grades and it was what we had. So we just kind of got along. And, you know, over time, it, it, we were we were good friends and then best friends and then a lot more than that. So did you guys go off to different colleges then and, and go your separate ways and get back together? Or? Um, well, we we always had the presumption that we were together, Okay. Um, and that's, which is kind of hard to say, to, to explain. But I stayed where I was. I was working and going to college at night, and she went off to a big university to get a master's, to get a bachelor's and then a master's degree, um, and then came back to uh, California and I moved from Sacramento to the Bay Area and we moved in together and you know so we managed that for about 10 years there we lived in separate places oh, that's tough yeah but we made it <laughs> that's awesome congratulations oh, oh thank you <laughs> so um does your wife act like a beta reader for you um or do you bounce ideas off of her or does she like is she like, you know, don't tell me, I don't want to know, or how does that go down? Um, she does not like romance as a genre. What? She just, she just kind of doesn't. Whenever there's a, a movie and the romance is a part of a movie, she's usually, okay, fine, whatever. Um, it, it's just not her thing at all. So she, she doesn't beta read, doesn't. I don't bounce ideas off of her, mostly because she doesn't read it. I can't bounce an idea off of her uh-huh. because her response is going to be, well, that sounds awfully stereotyped <laughs> and trite and, and uh, you know, like yes. 50,000 people have written that already. Why are you writing it? And I'm like, okay, I don't want to have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I get um, it. I get it. My wife's the same <laughs> way. She does not like romance. She likes like <laughs> crime mystery, murder mysteries and, you know, um, yeah. Uh, she loves historical epics and and as a part of that romance, you know, can come into the story and leave, but it's always a part of this big epic story and she loves you know, biographies and and uh and just lots of history. So yeah. you know. I'm, so I'm like So who does your beta reading for you? Like do you have a set beta reader that you bounce ideas off of? Um well I can I came into writing without any of that. Ah, okay. Support network at all. It just, you wrote in isolation because there was not really, if it was a writing group, it was usually full of serious writers. And I didn't, it took me like nine books before I thought of myself as a serious writer. So wow. by by then my habits were really established. Yeah. Um, so even now I, I discuss a story idea. Like I have a librarian friend who's super well read. You know, I bounce ideas off of her. Um, and 
surprisingly, my daughter has become a really great source to bounce ideas off of because she's not that much of a romance reader. She's a gamer. And so she games and loves the stories inside games, like Legends of Zelda has a fantastic Mm storyline. She loves that. And she reads about storylines within the aspect of gaming and fantasy and fantasy storytelling and superheroes and all that stuff. So I can bounce an idea off of her and she'll come back with a list saying, oh, well, so I see. So you could do this or you could do that or you could do that. She's just this wide open encyclopedia of all the different things that happen in stories in her part of the world. So great. That's great to have someone like that in your life. Yeah. There's a couple of times where I thought, well, I can't decide if the character should do this or that. And she'll be like, Oh, well, you know, you could do this. And I'll go, Oh, well, not quite, but I see what you mean. And then the two ideas become a third, which is really magical. Is she um, an aspiring writer or a writer herself? Kinda. Okay. Yeah, you know, she's still finishing college. She wants to be a music education teacher. Okay. So, and right now that's kind of all up in the air because who knows where we're going. But yeah. she, she's, um, you know, can't wait to work with kids and help them, show them that, you know, you can be a team with music. You can experience cooperation and the joy of making art in the simple thing like choir. Um, so that's what she wants to do. But she's also... It, trying to she's got some stories out there that she's written based on fandoms that you know they're just circulating so I rule nothing out (laughs) yeah cool that's great that's it's always good to to rule nothing out right then yeah you know exactly the, the world's your playground exactly so um Karen you have a long-standing relationship with Radcliffe um and you guys have I'll say co-edited um, a slew of books, right? And and if I if I'm correct, aren't most of them erotica? Well, we what we did was we co-wrote together two books, where we each um, we established a theme, and then we each wrote short stories for it. Okay. And then um, and that came about. It was a lunchtime conversation in, in Provincetown. Ah, oh, great! I love it. <laughs> of all things, right? Yeah. And and there was you know. Linda Hill with Bella and Radcliffe, who at the time was, you know, she was running uh, Bold Strokes almost by herself. And they just, you know, looked at each other and said, yeah, we can do this. And I'm like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, tell me what to write. So we came up with the two themes, one on a cruise ship. And the second one was a Las Vegas convention hotel. Okay. I I think I've read both of those. Yeah. Yeah, and in some cases we drew on characters from other novels, and in some cases it was completely um, brand new, you know, character sets set within this world. But it was all meant to be erotica, and we wanted it to be sex positive and and uh, women loving women positive, and and yet fun and and light and um and human, you know that that erotica can still be full of human connection and dealing with issues as well as, as non-erotica. So I think we did a great job. You did too. I do too. You guys did an awesome job, really. Um, So do you have any, um, any works coming out right now or any recently released uh, publication? Well, my most recent book was called um, Because I Said So, which had at the end of chapter nine, 
what I hope is the the best story flip I've ever done where I red herringed everything until this one moment in time where then the reader, I um, my dream is the reader went, read it and went, what, 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 what? and then had to read the chapter again, oh, awesome. the lead up again. And then when they did that, they saw all the red herrings, all the clues, everything that said, this is, this is actually where it's going. So it doesn't look like a second chance romance, but it is. Um, and so I, re- I really like that. And that came out last year and I'm working on, a novel called Simply the Best, which um, is, it, it's, you'd have to know the movie Born Yesterday and um, the book Devil Wears Prada. And I've kind of put those together a little bit in in creating a, a, a triangle. It's really a romance. There's a, but there's a, there's a third person who has a, a huge impact on whether the two, the two main characters can get together. Oh, great. That sounds like a really good book. I'm going to have to uh, check that out. When's that due out? Uh, um, well, it was due out in, in July. Um, but me being me, I'm I, all the current distractions kind of hit and yeah. I missed, uh, I just like lost all of the threads and really trying to come back to it. So I asked for a, a break on the on the deadline and um and I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> okay. okay. There's, a, you know, a return to normalcy and I can get back to it. But it, it, so it was scheduled to hopefully come out at um, GCLS and that's the Golden Crown Literary Society. But it's going to probably be after that. Okay. Maybe Provincetown, Women's Week. Could happen. It yeah. could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I hope that uh, GCLS happens. I'm crossing my fingers too. I think with every, you know, I know that here in California, we're, looking at hopefully turning a corner but other places not so it's just really hard to know yeah it is that's that's what we're going you know we're all going to kind of deal with this and hopefully when people listen to this broadcast a couple years from now they'll be thinking what are they talking about yeah right (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't that be the best that would be the best possible Uh outcome (laughs) Uh, that would be fantastic yes yes i um you know i i would love to be alive in 50 years and know what the uh, the history books say, you know? Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. But maybe it's a, it's a blessing that we don't get to know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, we just don't, don't get to know what the generations after us, how they felt about us. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We're, we're living it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what would you say, what words of advice... Uh, would you say to budding romance writers? Um, I, I alluded to one, which is just keep producing work. You, you, you can't know what you're capable of and what readers really respond to and what you do well that they respond to on just one book. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes multiple works to really start to feel a connection um, to an audience and to what makes you feel successful. Because that's the other big unknown. I mean, we we think one thing is what's going to tell us we did good. And it takes time to really actually find out what that is. Um, you know, if it's money, then go for it. If it's uh, reviews and awards and acclaim, that's a whole different thing. Um, and you don't start to know that until you've, you've been in the career for a while, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But I also got some really just best advice from Catherine Forrest way, way many years ago uh, that helps me with my own 
um, being my own worst critic and also with my fear that if I try something risky that I could perceive as risky in a book, like writing outside my own skin, for example, that I'll do it badly and that if I do it badly, then I have to deal with the consequences of that. And her advice was to always remember if you only publish something that is as good as you can make it and that if it is as good as you can possibly make it at that time, then even if it has mistakes or things you come to regret or that were misrepresentative or something, you at least it is truthful that it was the best you could do at the time. It had integrity at that moment. Mm-hmm. And therefore, your regrets and your coulda, woulda, shoulda, put that in the current work and put it in the future work. You can't change the past work. But it's really important to stand on that one rock of it was the best I could do. Yeah, that's important. That's important to realize rather than, you know, it's, uh, you know, the uh, opposite of beating yourself up for, yeah, you know, not exactly. doing it. Exactly. And, and that, but that also requires that you stretch yourself a little bit. Make sure it's the best you can do. You know, so, for example, do your research. In- inquire into things you don't understand fully. Be sure you got things that were checkable and verifiable correct. Um, but if you still get it wrong, it was at least, you, you tried. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you did your best. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, Karen, do you like to hear from, from your readers and from our listeners? I do. And I how- do. I love hearing from readers. That's, that is one of my success points. How would I, they I, get a hold of you? I am at uh, callmaker.com. If they want to read anything about my books without engaging, that's perfectly okay. Um, you know, I've got excerpts from all my books and backstories about all of them. Some of that so that I don't forget. Um, and uh, they can also write to me at karen at callmaker.com. Okay. So that was karen at callmaker.com. And your website is? Callmaker.com. Callmaker.com. Yeah. That's easy to remember. Yeah. And I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. You can just type Callmaker into either and you've got one. That's it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Karen, for being with us. And thank you. This was delightful. Hey, it was a good time. And uh, <laughs> I hope you stay healthy. And you too. Yes. You and yours. You. Thank you. Thanks. Um, thanks for joining. Liz. talk about books, baby. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted and peace be plenty. <laughs>